0: so glad that we can be with you on this Sunday morning, even though it's not uh, in person. We'd love for it to be in person, but uh, at least we can be with you on the screen, and uh, I hope this will be encouraging for you. I I would like to speak this morning about something that is, I think, very important. It might sound abstract and theoretical at first, but actually it's immensely practical, and I think getting this thing right can make a big difference in terms of Uh, productivity as a Christian and godliness and hopefulness and humility. And also, if we get it wrong, it can lead to things like uh, laziness, anxiety, pride. It certainly has had that sort of impact in my life when I've gotten it wrong in the past. Um, I'm talking about the relationship between God's sovereignty, his control, and human responsibility. And I want to get at that by looking at Psalm 127. So if you have a Bible, I'd love for you to open up to Psalm 127 and I'm going to read those verses. It's just a short psalm. I'll read it and then we'll talk about the kind of relationship between God's control and our freedom and responsibility that this psalm lays out. So Psalm 127, I'll read these these verses now. Unless the Lord builds the house, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Father, we pray that you will open our eyes to see what is here in this psalm for your glory and for our joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. King Solomon wrote Psalm 127 in order, I think, to counter a badly mistaken approach to life. And the motto of that way of life is God does nothing and we do everything. God does nothing and we do everything. Many people in our world live this way. And some, some live it by conviction. They believe there is no God. And so they're compelled to take full responsibility in life. Uh, Some time ago, as he was explaining declining coronavirus rates, the governor of New York State in the U.S., uh, Andrew Cuomo, said, our behavior has stopped the spread of the virus. God did not stop the spread of the virus. And there you have a very bald assertion of this philosophy, this way of doing life, that God does nothing and we do everything. But I think we should be honest, even though many of us would not say that um, as Christians, we often live unintentionally or intentionally that way. And this is what you might call a kind of practical atheism. So, of course, intellectually, we believe in God, but all too often that's not the way we live in practice. So when we're faced with the challenge, too often we instinctively turn to ourselves to fix it, to work it through rather than turning to God. So we get busy solving the problem. And I, I need to fess up that I myself all too often live as a kind of practical atheist. There have been times in my life, and I wonder if this is the, the, the same for you, where I've realized after some period of time kind of worrying over a problem, stewing over it, reflecting on it, trying to troubleshoot, trying to come up with a solution, I realized suddenly to my chagrin I have not once prayed about that problem and that's happened to me more than once. I have not asked God for help. What was I doing? Now the answer is I was living as a practical atheist. Uh, Our son Samuel is 12 years old but years ago when he was a little boy uh, he and I were pumping up the tires on a bicycle stroller or sorry on just a, a baby stroller using a bicycle pump and I tried to to help him use the pump, and he got frustrated with me, and he said, no, Daddy, I don't need your help. Um, he, he really wanted to do it all by himself, and he clearly needed help because the, the bicycle pump took some, some work. It was a little hard to push down. He just wasn't big and strong enough to do it, and my instinct in that situation was to say, buddy, I'm, I'm nine times as old as you are. I've done this a million times. Let me help you. It is not rational. Because I'm here, I'm willing to help you. I can do it. It's not rational for you to refuse my help. And I realized, you know what, actually, that's almost exactly the same thing I'm doing when God says, ask me for help. I'm available. I can do this for you. And I I say, "Uh, no, I don't need your help, or I live that way. I forget about him. I don't ask him for his help. Now, as I said, Psalm 127 is written by Solomon in order to counter that way of living, and it does so in two ways. So the first half of the psalm shows how fruitless life without God is. So, psalm is trying to give us a vision of, okay, if you live without God, this is the way it's going to work or not work. And the key word in this first half of the psalm, verses 1 to 2, is the word vain. If you look for the word vain, you'll see that it shows up three times in just those couple of verses. vain, vain, vain. Verse one talks about the vain work of builders and watchmen apart from God. Um, you know, maybe we're smiling knowingly as we read this. Oh builders and watchmen don't live that way. that's going to be vain. And then in verse two, it's like Solomon's turning directly to us he uses the word you and he addresses us. He says, it is vain that you rise up early. So in other words, we are guilty too. He's turning the guns on us. Solomon's saying, do you want to live life without God? If you do, it's going to be fruitless in the end. It's going to be vain. Now, Solomon does not mean that atheists can't build houses or keep a city safe. I'm pretty sure there are Many good atheistic architects. But here's the point. When atheist architects and guards do their work, it's because of the very help of the God they deny. And Solomon makes an additional point to that, I think. He's, he's saying, what's the point of the house you build or the city you guard if you don't have God? Well, what's the point of the secure city? Life doesn't work. It doesn't flourish apart from God. So that's Solomon's first counter, you might say, to practical atheism. The second counter is in the second half of the psalm. It's in verses three to five, which shows us how blessed life is when we actually do rely on God. And the key word in the second half of the psalm is the word blessed in verse five. Blessed is the man. You know, in, in modern English, blessed is kind of a, a wimpy word. Uh, We say, I was so blessed, and we just mean that made me feel good. Or we say, God bless you, and someone sneezes. But blessing in the Bible is anything but wimpy. It's strong and, and robust. It means flourishing under the hand of God. So Solomon is saying there are two ways to live. Life without God is vain. Life with God is blessed. Psalm 127 is a wisdom psalm. It says there are these two paths. Now, which one are you going to choose? Which one are you going to walk on? Let's not live like atheists individually, and let's not live that way as a church. I mean, if we if we hear Solomon's exhortation and we we obey it, we obey what Psalm 127 is telling us, we're not going to live as practical atheists. So practical atheism is a big mistake, but but so is an opposite error that we might be tempted to fall into. And if I was going to try to sum up the motto for this other alternate way of living, I would say it's this. God does everything and we do nothing. Now, again, we've sometimes seen this view manifested during the present coronavirus pandemic here in the United States. There was a former congressional candidate in the state of California who said this. If you have a mask on it means you actually don't trust god if you have a mask on you don't trust god in other words god does everything he keeps us safe and we show by doing nothing that we trust him and the anglican writer tish harrison warren calls that kind of belief competitive agency in other words there's no overlap god if god does does nothing if he does everything then we we can't do we, we can't do anything. There's there's no overlap. It's either God or us. And again, we may not believe, uh, articulate this belief explicitly, but many of us still live it out. Let's go back to that uh, that time when Samuel, as a young boy, was trying to pump up that stroller tire with the bicycle pump. And we were, we're arguing over who's going to do it. Finally, I just stepped in. I said, I'm going to help you pump up the stroller tire. And at that point, Samuel decided... I was pumping the tire anyway. I was getting the job done. So he took off to go do something else. Basically, he left me to do everything, and he figured he could do nothing, and the stroller tire would still get inflated. And I think we actually do live this way sometimes, even as believers. We say, oh, God loves that person, and he'll meet their need, and uh, they don't need my help. Or we might even give a kind of laziness, a spiritual window dressing or veneer. We might say, I'll pray for you instead of offering some practical help that will cost us something. And this way of living is very, very passive. Uh, You know, we might actually be tempted to see justification for this way of living in verse 2 of Psalm 127. Verse 2 says, it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil. And we might say, we might look at verse two, we we might say, well, Solomon is saying that God does everything and we do nothing, that we shouldn't work hard. I think that would be a big mistake to read Psalm 127 that way. And let me give you two reasons why that understanding of Psalm 127 is incorrect. So first, notice that verse one says, unless the Lord builds the house, Those who build it labor in vain. So yes, the Lord must build the house. But in verse 1, there are still human beings building the house. And in the next part of the verse, there are still human beings guarding the city. The fact that God builds and God guards does not mean that human beings don't build and guard. That's the first point. Second point, when verse 2 says it is vain to get up early and go to sleep late, eating the bread of anxious toil. That word anxious toil is not talking about normal, healthy, productive work, but rather about painful, anxious, unproductive labor. And if you want to confirm that the Bible is not against hard work, just drop down one psalm, just a couple verses, to Psalm 128, verse 2, which describes a life that's blessed by God this way. It says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. That's the blessed life. In other words, if your life is blessed by God, it doesn't mean he takes away work. It just means he makes the work productive and satisfying. I love what John Calvin says about verses one and two. You know, some people have a a very distorted picture of John Calvin, like Calvin equals Calvinism equals God in control of everything equals therefore we do nothing, and I say not at all. That's not at all a true reading of John Calvin. I want you to hear John Calvin's comment on verse 1 of Psalm 127. He says, it is not the will of the Lord that we should be like blocks of wood or that we should keep our arms folded without doing anything, but that we should apply to use all the talents and advantages which God has conferred upon us. So Psalm 127 does not call for passivity or inactivity on our part. All we need to do is pray. You know, we should let go and let God. No, that's not the way God works in this world. He he, he is not trying to form spiritual couch potatoes out of his people. So these are two inadequate ways of living. We've seen these both of these these ways are inadequate so far. God does nothing. And we do everything. That's practical atheism. And God does everything and we do nothing. That's spiritual passivity. How does Psalm 127 actually put together God's activity and our activity? Or you might say God's sovereignty and our responsibility. And I think this is the biblical understanding God does everything and we do something. God does everything. And we do something. Now, there's actually a remarkable parallel of key words in verse 1 of Psalm 127. So notice, God builds the house, Hebrew word banah, and laborers build the house. Same word, Hebrew word, banah. And again, the Lord guards the city. He watches over the city, shamar, and those guarding, shamar, same word, those guarding watch over the city and, and, and in other words you could ask the question does God build or do we build and the answer is yes does God guard or do we guard and again the answer is yes after Samuel wandered away and left me with with this bicycle pump you know I'm trying to pump up the stroller tire his younger sister Annie who is now 10 years old by that point she was very young I don't know maybe three or four years old, she decided she wanted to have a go pumping up the tires. So she put her little hands on the pump handle and I put my big hands over her little hands on the pump handle and we pumped together. You know, she was pumping and I was pumping at the same time. But here's a very important thing to realize, and I think we'd go wrong if we don't realize this. We do not contribute equally with God. So our relationship with God is, you you might say, it's asymmetrical. It's not even. And and here's the clearest way to see that in Psalm 127. It is true to say, as the Psalm does, that unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. But it is not true to say, it is never true to say, I, I might venture to say it's heresy to say that unless those who labor build the house, the Lord builds in vain. That's never true. God never needs us. God is in control. He is sovereign. You know, if if Annie had stopped pumping with the bicycle pump, pumping up that stroller tire, I would have continued just fine. I didn't need Annie. But if I had stopped pumping, Annie just wasn't strong enough to get the job done on her own. So, so it wasn't symmetrical. We were both working. She was doing something. You might say I was doing everything. And this is why I do not say God does something and we do something. You know, I think some people want to, want to put it that way. They want to say God does some things and we do some things. And I think the Bible, rather than saying that, rather than teaching that way, it says God does everything. And we do something. Now, this is significant. Knowing that she needed my help did not make Annie passive or lazy in her work. I would say it's just the opposite. My presence gave Annie confidence that the job actually could be accomplished, even though it stretched her strength. So the fact that my hands were on her hands didn't make her walk away, it gave her encouragement. It gave her Maybe a measure of humility. She knew she couldn't do it by herself, but also a measure of great confidence and hopefulness. It made her more bold to to do the job. And I think, again, the same is true for us. That if we really believe, if we really know that, yes, God does call us to do something, but he's doing everything. I mean, the the actual work is, is God's ultimately. Then we'll be humbled by that. And we will be incredibly hopeful. We, we can contribute our little bit. And we can have confidence that God will actually make something significant of it. Think of uh, the boy who contributed his loaves and fish. And Jesus took the little something he brought and did everything. He, he fed over 5,000 people with it. And that's a picture of this relationship between what we do and what God does. William Carey was a 19th century Baptist missionary to India, and he was really the father of modern missions. And he got it, I think, just right when he said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And I would add the first sentence always comes first. God always acts and we act in light of his act, in light of his sovereign control. Solomon is a great teacher, so he concludes this psalm by giving us an illustration of how this all works out. And his illustration is in verses 3, 4, and 5, and it's children. So the question is, where do children come from? And of course, mommy and daddy play a part in the procreation of the children. There's only been one virgin birth in history, but we should go deeper. Solomon says children are given to parents by God. And parents who have tried month after month to conceive children and been unable to begin to realize very quickly that they cannot simply decide to have children. That's not just something we can do. God needs to open the womb. Very often in the Bible, God is said to be the one to open the womb. So, again, where do children come from? What we should believe and say is God does everything and we do something. That's what Psalm 127 is getting at. Let me close by drawing out three implications of this psalm. Three kind of practical responses on our part to Psalm 127. Number one, we should plan and work hard. So we should be active, not passive. Uh, Here's another way to say it. God doing everything undergirds our efforts. It never undercuts them. So if we really believe that God is active, that he is sovereign, that he's in control, that he's doing everything, that will motivate us to work hard. It will not sever the nerve of activity. And the Apostle Paul thought exactly this way. That's why he says to, to, to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 7, 2 Timothy 2, 7, he says, think over what I say for... The Lord will give you understanding in everything. <laughs> Just consider that for a while. I'll read it again. Second 2 Timothy 2, seven. Think over what I say, Paul says to Timothy, because the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, if you're not thinking biblically, you'll say, well, Timothy might say, well, if, if the Lord gives me understanding in everything, I don't need to think over it. But that's not a biblical way of thinking. Uh, That's not a Pauline way of thinking. Paul says God's going to give you understanding, which means that when you employ your mind, your limited, finite finite mind, when you work hard, when you study hard, when you memorize scripture, when you use commentaries, when you ask other people's opinion, when you think over what I say, Timothy, when you contribute your something, that something is going to have an impact. You're going to gain insight. Why? Because... God will do everything. He'll give you insight. I'll give you one more example. Uh, Another example in the Bible, in Paul's writings, of why we should plan and work hard because of God doing everything. And this is maybe the most famous example in the New Testament of this principle. It's Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, where Paul says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And then he gives a reason. He says, for because it is God who is who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So hear that again. Here. What do we do? What does God do? Here's what we do. Here's our something. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means fight sin, put sin to death. Read the Bible. Pray, gather in Christian community, be on mission, all all those things. That's all all what it means to to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And why ought we to do that? What's our hope that that's actually going to avail anything, that we'll get traction, that we'll grow as Christians? And here's what Paul says, because God does everything. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. So uh, here's the first implication. We should plan and work hard. Second implication, we should pray hard. So our praying reminds us that God is the only one who can make our ministry happen. We cannot do it ourselves. So we must wait upon him even as we act, even as we're we're bold and and we're sacrificial in, in living obediently and serving on mission and doing hard things there should be a kind of internal waiting a prayerful waiting for god to act and we can work hopefully and we can work expectantly because god does everything because he takes our paltry little efforts our little somethings and he makes a great thing out of them again go back to the the little boy with his loaves and fish we do something he he you know he does something he brings something but apart from jesus that's not going to feed five thousand plus with Jesus doing everything it will why does god involve us if if he if he does everything why does he involve us at all and I think the answer is he wants us to do something because he wants us to be involved because he wants to grow relationship you know if you if you think back to annie and me pumping that bicycle uh, I didn't need her to work the bicycle pump with me but I loved her doing it because it was a moment between me and my daughter and it grew our relationship. A lot of those little things. When I when I paint with my children, if I'm painting a wall, I don't ask them to paint with me because I need their help. It actually creates more work. But I I ask them to do jobs with me because I want to grow in relationship with them. God incorporates our efforts, not because he needs us, but because he wants to grow in relationship with us. So uh, all this to say, second application, we should pray hard even as we work. we should be saying, God, uh, I know that this is this is not going this is not going to cut it. This is not going to avail for what needs to be done if you don't do everything even as I do something. And then finally, number three, third application, as God blesses our efforts, we should give him all the glory. And I'm thinking here of Proverbs 21 31 which says the horse is prepared for the day of battle. That's something we do. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. As God blesses our efforts, we should give him all the glory. Or you could use the words of the Apostle Paul, who says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Christians, followers of Jesus, are called to be more active and full of good works than the world, but Christians are also called to be more reliant and more humble and more aware of our need than the world, and we are therefore to give all the glory to God when he causes our efforts to succeed. Uh, I pray that this will be helpful, maybe in, in helping you to think a little bit more about the connection between God's work in the world and our very real but always inadequate work in the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you will call us as your people to be abounding in good works, to be responsible, to be active, to be sacrificial, to work hard and pray hard and be fruitful and productive. But, oh God, I pray that we will never, confuse that with doing everything that we will never try to step into your place instead that we'll be humble and very hopeful knowing that even as we do something you do everything we pray this for your sake in jesus name amen